What do you think is really going on? What do I think? Spetsnaz. Alpha Group. Mosetas, Cartel Enforcer. RUF. It's a death squad from Sierra Leone. Yakuza in the Gawakai. The FBI is most wanted. I'd say we were chosen. Welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. The following review will contain spoilers and may contain strong language. Who would do this? It's a test to see how we do under pressure. If this were a test, you'd all be military. Total strangers. Live rounds. This is something else. What if we are dead? This is hell. Last time I looked, you didn't need a parachute to get there. Today, as part of our LVRMP series, we'll be discussing Predators, starring Adrian Brody. Being hunted. We're all brought here for the same purpose. This planet is a game preserve. And we're the game. Alice Braga. You said we were chosen. I asked for what? I should have asked why. It's because we are predators. Just like them. And Lawrence Fishburne. Every once in a while, one of us kills one of them. And let me tell you, that's when they get real interested. See, they learn. Quick, they adapt. They develop a whole new set of skills. Directed by Nimrod Antal. Wants us to run. That's how it hunts. This is its jungle. Its game. Its rules. Hello and welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. I talk too much. It's Gally in Swindon. Uh, tits like how it says. It's definitely in London. Open up, you hanky fucker. It's Patrick in London. The schools are so much nicer there. And the men. Ooh la la. It's Matt in South Korea. Oh, welcome back, gang. And welcome back, listeners. In case you hadn't noticed, we just got flushed out by 20th Century Fox. Yes, they sent the dogs in. The dogs being Alien vs. Predator and Alien vs. Predator Requiem. They split us up. They watched. Testing us. Testing our patience, yes. Today, we continue our long voyage through the LVRMP series, where we take the perilous journey through every single cinematic entry in the Alien and Predator franchises. And this episode is on Predators, released in 2010, starring Adrian Brody, directed by Nimrod Antle and produced by Robert Rodriguez. First experiences with this one, Devlin, I'll start with you. Mm-hmm. Had you seen this one? And if you had, had you remembered? Uh, I had not seen it. By the time this film came out, it just felt really small time. That makes sense. Like mm. the well had been poisoned. We'd sat through two Alien versus Predator movies. They were shit. Nothing about this uh, contradicted my preconceived notions that we were really small time in it. This one, uh, they touted Robert Rodriguez's uh, involvement quite heavily. Also, I'd pretty much soured on him by this point. Not in any major way. Like I didn't hate the man or anything, but. I'd seen Once Upon a Time in the Mexi- in Mexico. Mm, uh, it was an yeah. unfocused mess. Um, Sin City was decent, but I wasn't completely blown away by it. And uh, he, as much as I admire the man for uh, his industriousness, um, as a as a filmmaker, I didn't really care 
and uh yeah so it just it completely passed me by and i've just not really thought about it in the years since it's kind of shocking that it's been 13 years to be honest it mm-hmm. it really did just slip by with uh with absolutely no impact on me whatsoever which is a bit of a downer way to start an episode <laughs> uh patrick had you seen this one Oh, hold on. Was this the first time you've watched it this week? Yeah, first time I've watched it. You might have said that. Sorry, I missed it. I do remember it coming out and being a thing. And I don't remember wanting to go and see it. Mm. And whether that's because of Alien vs. Predator. But I didn't see those at the cinema, so I don't know what my problem was. Um, I did watch this with Lev, actually, friend of the show. Who, uh, when Prey came out, we decided to watch The Predator, Predators, Prey, and we had a bit of a bit of a sesh. Um, found it largely uh, inconsequential back then. <laughs> did I, I the did... details of my life are quite inconsequential. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's, uh, I had seen it before. I watched it with Love because I was like, that's shit, but I just don't. I think it was under the background or something. I'm not sure. I I don't I do remember though Mark Kermode's review on Wittertainment and he was going on about about a um a healthy Lawrence Fishburne and a Jack of Adrian Brody <laughs> being <laughs> the crux of his review. Um and that kind of did get my interest up a little bit to see Brody in a against type you know, against kind of stereotype casting. But um yeah, I watched it twice this week, ready for today. Did, did you see it before, Matt? Uh, yeah, it was probably Love Film era, I think. Back in the day with the old Through the Post DVDs. Um, Rodriguez was the draw for me, I think, at the time as well. Is it just being part of the series? He was a total filmmaking hero at one point, but very similar to Dev. We probably fell out with him about the same time. Um, me and friend of the show, Joe Mack, went to see uh, Once Upon a Time in Mexico at The View in Leeds. And we were... The Light. Uh, at, at The Light, yeah. Um, yeah. Leeds City Centre. And we were both underwhelmed by it. Um, it was no Desperado. Um, and I sort of... I went more into this on the faculty blog. If anyone wants to dig into the archives on the site, there's a whole thing about Rodriguez and, like, when I fell out with him. But I think it's probably 2001 Spy Kids that marked the departure. Um, and then Sin City gave me faith again. And then I was back... I was back around the time of uh, Grindhouse and Planet Terror for a while. But, yeah, the uh, his first few films were enough to sort of hook me in into him. But in t- in terms of the film itself, I didn't remember too much at all. It was uh, it was good to watch it again recently and have a have a refresh. Gally? Yeah, no, I went to see it and um, I remember just thinking, "Yep, that was a film," and yeah, hadn't really thought about it ever ever since. And even when uh, Shane Black's The Predator came out, I do remember, you know, because what was that like four or five years ago, maybe something like that. Normally, that dredges up the one prior for either reclamation or damnation. And there was neither, um, which again, I think is interesting and, you know, not suggesting listeners that, that this is going to be a bit of a vanilla episode where we just go, yeah, it doesn't really mean a great deal. I think there's plenty to discuss, but what is fascinating is that that seemed to, to kind of permeate um, all of our thinking 
we're only a small sample size mine so don't you know extrapolate that to that's what everyone thought but yeah i saw it i went and i don't really remember a great deal interesting that uh mark commode kind of hooked in on adrian brody and the kind of counter programming for casting adrian brody is definitely not a problem in this movie uh in my opinion as far as like him being cast we can get into the character and 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 the story and all those other things and the direction that it goes but um i had no issue whatsoever seeing him in uh in a kind of more action packed role just like i'd never had an issue with keanu reeves back in you know 94 before we get into discussing it Patrick, would you care to remind us and the listeners, especially those that just slept on this one, what the plot is to Predators? Royce is falling, free-falling to God knows where. Falling, falling till his parachute opens just in time, landing in a jungle and avoiding fire from Nikolai's minigun. They soon find they're not alone as uh, Cuchillo, Isabel, Edwin, Stans, Mombasa, and Hanzo have landed nearby also and grouped together to find out what the fuck is going on. None of any memory of how they got him, but the only question is how to get out. Royce takes points and looks for the high ground. Isabel, wary of Royce, who doesn't want to share his name. As the group of strangers move, they see a strange monument and find several ominous empty cages. Royce thinks they're all specifically chosen, but for what? They trigger a dead man's trap. The elaborate deadfall trap set for something a lot bigger than humans, but they seemingly failed as something watches them from afar. As they clear the tree line to a cliff's edge and discover an alien skyline, multiple planets staring back at them, they're going to need a new plan to get off this rock. The group deny Crazy stands a gun when a pack of alien hellhounds pounce. The group gun them down with their endless bullets, but two hounds abandon the attack at the sound of a strange whistle. Royce deduces that this planet is a game preserve and they are being hunted, so decides to hunt back. Royce tracks their trail to an alien camp and finds a familiar-looking predator tied up. Three more predators arrive and kill Mombasa, and the rest of them escape. Isabel recognises the predator from a certain written report of an encounter back in 1987 in Guatemala. Ooh. They all hunker down for the night when they hear a noise. Edwin is sent out as bait and chased by a new kind of alien that is gunned down by a healthy survivor, Ronald, who leads them to their, his hideout in an abandoned spacecraft. Subsequently, he goes mad and tries to smoke them to death. Royce breaches the hole and attracts the predators to help their situation. One predator duly kills Ronald, but as it tracks Edwin, Nikolai rescues him, sacrificing himself and killing the predator in a ball of flames. As another predator goes berserk on them, Stans makes up for his misogyny and stabs it from behind, allowing the others to escape before he is killed too. But Hanzo stays behind with a samurai sword he found conveniently to face the other predator, expertly dispatching it before succumbing to his own wounds. Only Royce, Isabel and Edwin are left now looking for a a ship. But Edwin falls foul of a trap and is injured. Royce leaves them and frees a familiar predator in exchange for a way off the planet, while the berserk predator traps the other two, where Edwin poisons Isabel. Maybe they are the predators. Royce missed his ride and saves Isabel, but shanks Edwin, using him again to get the predator who has killed the new ally. 
As Royce reveals his abs and fucks with the Predator's vision to help defeat it, more parachutes appear in the sky. What season is this? Which season of Lost is it? Indeed, yeah. <laughs> There'll be another bedtime tomorrow on CBBS. <laughs> Sweet dreams. Well done there, Patrick. Very light of foot as you went through um, the many, many plots of Predator. Tis. Tis. Plural. Plural. I love Predator. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if Rodriguez went into the 20th century studio and did the classic camera move of, let's put it, an S and replace that with dollar because I'm not sure they did. Interesting, isn't it? What do we think then? What do we think about this um, idea? Because you've got to you've got to cleanse yourself of the stench of the AVP twosome. Because mm. um, even though I think if we go back now, having watched Alien vs Predator Requiem, we think that Alien vs Predator is quite a charming little movie. But actually, <laughs> they're both shit. <laughs> they they are obviously trying to course correct, trying to bring some more agency back to the creature. A bit more respect, really. A bit more respect for us as the audience. So, Rodriguez, a good a good appointment. Uh, the story goes that, you know, he had a script back in 94 for Predator 3. I don't know how much they changed it because it very much feels like aliens. It just says it was based on early drafts he'd written after seeing the original 1987 film. Mm. So, uh, there's a ton of stuff if you go back in the Rodriguez catalogue of stuff that was unproduced i think when he when he cracked it after el mariachi he was writing a ton of stuff that he could potentially develop later on and this was one that probably sat in a drawer uh it said the ideas included a planet-sized game preserve and various creatures used by the predators to hunt a group of abducted yet skilled humans that was the quote so that's what he had so the game preserve premise was there and I can picture him in a hotel somewhere doing all these outlines and stuff. He was a lot like that back in the day. Um, but this one is kind of tainted by the digital ethos that he developed as time went on. Uh, talking about the Mexico, uh, once upon a time in Mexico, on that disc, he had a seminar called Film is Dead, uh, an evening with Robert Rodriguez, where he just talks about how the only way you would shoot film now is for nostalgic reasons. And Tarantino shoots film because he's a vinyl guy. And that's the only reason behind doing it. Um, so it, whatever he had in 94 has been filtered through this kind of digital idea. It's like Pro Tools when you make music. It's like everything's suddenly very perfect, you know. Um, but yeah, I would love to have seen it earlier. You know, what if Rennie got hold of it earlier? Rennie Howland, oh, you know, friend Rennie, of the yeah, show. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, Good 90s workman director, right? And what do we think about the direction of, of essentially saying, we're going to go back to formula, we're going to go back to the first one, and we're very much going to align this sequel, you know, the look, the feel, the idea of a, a group being hunted. It's all Predator, right? They are not saying, you know, King Willie is not turning up in this movie. Uh, so Predator 2. A.K.A. Big Willy. Yeah, no one has got B.O. and barbecue. Yeah, nobody <laughs> in this movie. So what what do we think of that? You know, because the lions and the tigers, oh my, they're not here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I, uh, I like that they went off planet. You know, I thought that's a really, if you're going mm. to do a sequel, I don't know whether it's part of Matt's gym commandments. Is it upping the stakes, do you think? Going to a new kind planet? of ups the stakes by giving them somewhere completely different. However, they're still in a jungle, and we introduce mm -hmm. an Earth plan plant 
poisonous plant within the first 10 minutes, which kind of undoes that good idea mm. very quickly. It's cool to see them on the edge and see the planets and everything, but just if you're going to fucking do it, do it. And Normalizes it so much, right? Like It's a jungle. The, it's a familiar ground. Yeah. And it's, you, you know, Predator 2 took it into the city. Great. So where'd you go from there? You take it to mm. another planet. And it's just another human jungle. It's they don't fuck with the gravity or mm. the oxygen or. There's a slightly nice thing with the mystery of the no magnetic north. There's a slight mystery going on. But sure. You're probably right. I don't think they do as much with it as they could have. Yeah, they 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 almost feel like cheap devices for for difference. But actually, your eyes are seeing essentially a human. Yeah. You know, it's a human-esque planet. Um, mm. If you blink and you miss it, you wouldn't know unless you... If you miss the shot, if they cut out the shot where they're looking at three planets uh, on the horizon, you really mm. don't. Yeah, you're right. You wouldn't know, would you? It, it also, I mean, it's great that it has the... Like all of... Like the first film, it's a self-contained, you know... They're so deep in the jungle that there's basically nowhere for them to run. They have to. They have that one helicopter pickup, and that's the ticking clock. That if you don't make it to that, you're probably never going to get out of there. The one thing they're going to off Earth though is um, it removes this idea of a, a, a kind of a, a malevolent, potentially malevolent, very dangerous force. Uh, being dropped into a normal civilization so you lose the idea of any kind of like collateral damage or or you know this like ec literally ex extraterrestrial threat mm. because what you're now doing is so it's intensifying for the characters because they are completely taken out of their element they all, they don't even have the helicopter although it they kind of replace it with the yeah. predator ship being uh, with the you know operating under the assumption that they would ever be able to get onto that ship and ever be able to leave on mm. that ship but it's it still it gives them the the out but um i do remember that there was a draft kicked around that people used to talk about which was um that it would be arnie getting snatched up and put into a basically roger corman-esque yeah. like gladiator thing right and then you're in a running man vibe. Um, yeah, he's just he's tossed into a, like a big alien arena full of fucked up weird creatures, which would be cool because you know it, it, you get to then build it around the uh, the charisma of your lead actor, mm -hmm. and also you have continuation of character throughout. Whereas um, we build up a new ensemble here. I do like how they drop us straight in, though. It felt like a play in a way. I don't want to compare it too much to theatre, but the, the way they drop in, it's like each character, and then they have a slight interaction, and then someone new comes, and then someone new, and it's like a bit like a Royal Rumble countdown or something. Um, yeah, kind of yeah, very much like so. That. Um, mm -hmm. But I didn't like the CGI on the skydive, and I was really relieved once that was over because that idea of them dropping in is really good, but the, the execution of just seeing him falling I kind of like the idea, but I think it was the execution of it. I wasn't keen on. I was. It wasn't that much of a problem to me, Matt. Actually, I, it, I don't know. I don't. I don't think it's brilliant CGI, but no. it didn't distract me enough. I was kind of. It was over quite quickly. It's a very engaging opening. You can't get the parachute. You find a parachute. You know, you understand that they are being dropped somewhere they don't know, and. Mm. It's a very exciting opening. I I thought there's no fat at the beginning. Like if if you if you listen to like the screenwriting you know, what they say you should do when you begin a scene at the latest possible point. It's like he's falling through the air, which is, a, you know, for an action film is a pretty cool, interesting way to to start it off. But I definitely <laughs> thought it was the right instinct, which was to just 
we will crash land straight into the story yeah. because again we're we're three movies deep and if you're going to add the AVPs and AVPRs we know we know what what we're in for here um so i thought that was great fantastic and as you say then we're getting these very very simplistic introductions to these characters mm. i would argue that that simplicity uh is never is never really taken any uh, any step further with quite a lot of our cast of characters oh, I'm, I'm glad you got that reference matt like with lost because it did feel like an an singular episode of lost where you don't get all the answers yeah. and there's the bit when they come into the opening with the rock face and brody uh royce is identifying he's from yakuza he's from spetsnaz mm. <laughs> yeah there and there they, they, they go oh he's the odd one out the doctor like um toby right. grace and you just don't think about that anymore. You don't try and solve, you know, like yeah. together and they don't come together. It's just, <laughs> yeah, yeah it but was... he's the, it's like, uh, I don't know. There's a weird disparate. There's a couple between... of looks, a couple of sly looks, isn't there? But you do forget about it. You don't think he's Harold Shipman at that point. And then mm. when, when I thought of lost was when they discovered the cages, which was a bit like finding yeah. the hatch. If you're a lost fan, you'll know what that means. But, um, and then, yeah, and, and I looked at the times and Lost had been on for six seasons, or as the Americans say, and ending in 2010, which is when this was made. So Lost oh, okay. is in full, full influence at this point, I think. Yeah, I, I, that's what I wrote down. I mm. think, uh, mm. Cube as well. I was getting lots of mm. Cube vibe. Whereas Cube, though, takes uh, a bunch of characters and they all represent a, a part of society. And that's where I, that's where I think this initially, I was a bit concerned because we've got all these very, very interesting cast of characters and the film doesn't really want to to kind of scratch at that. We're at surface level to the point where when uh, Adrian Brody is pointing out who who is who and what they represent, it's just acronyms. So actually we don't even get the when when he says, well, he's RUF. Don't actually say what RUF is. Well, they they do say Death Death Squad Sierra Death Leone. Squad Sierra. Okay, mm. he gets Death Squad Sierra Leone. Alice Braga gets yeah. IDF. Nothing. Mm. Don't mention what IDF actually is. And it, yeah. so it feels it's a bit like if you said to any person in in Joe Public, "What's the SAS?" Well, they would obviously say Super Army Soldier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it is yeah. just like a it's a it's something that is ubiquitous amongst like just basic knowledge maybe avoiding a political you know overtly political oh, absolutely point. especially as it comes to like the idf because yeah. it makes sense for her as a character because the idf being a conscription army and also being the only major army that um puts women on the front line hmm. um and, and and has since its inception so it's not rare to see uh an, an extremely well-trained frontline soldier who's a woman in the IDF, but mm-hmm. also, yeah, they don't really want to go into who you're sniping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Don't worry about it. And it's the same with uh, with Nikolai. <laughs> he's he's saying he's on the front line in Chechnya. Um, yeah, but we're not going to get into. Mm. And, and 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 this is where it's interesting because we saw this, uh, and we're never going to do the film, or maybe we will, but it'll be a hate watch. But they had this issue with. The Suicide Squad with Will Will Slapper Smith. I'm busy um, that week. Oh, you are busy. <laughs> Where got a collection of characters that are they're not antiheroes. They're villains. They are mm. they are villainous. They have done terrible things. And we only get a couple of lines in this movie. I think uh, Danny Trejo 
talks about the torture tactics that he's mm-hmm. used and um, Mombasa, Mombasa, Mombasa. Uh, Mahashala Ali talks about yeah, yeah. Um, taking trophies and yeah. also about... wounding someone making them bleed and then uh, uh, having everyone else come to rescue them and which is what happens uh, yeah. so that yeah. shows that the predators have actually observed them in their mm. techniques and presumably done some research on each of them and then they're using it against them which could have been done more perhaps in the film you know make it like a rule of three thing like do it three times that's why they beat the the guy with the traps that they stumbled across because they've mm-hmm. learned from arnie mm-hmm. right you you presume that don't you yeah although yeah. i mean they must have gone to the same school or something because i mean the traps <laughs> right always, at school uh, <laughs> we're demythologizing de- de- <laughs> it we've seen too yeah. much <laughs> but but my point being is that um we're presented with these characters that we are going to follow and we don't necessarily need to like them and what they represent. Mm. But when the film... You don't like Walton Goggins and Stans. <laughs> He's a charming fella. And what he? he represents. Yeah, but yeah. when the film wants us to then have like this thread of, oh, maybe we're the predators. Yeah, we know that because <laughs> these people are the worst of the worst. Like That shouldn't mm. be a revelation. The only way that that kind of theme could work is if these were normal people. This is where you've kind of got this problem. But they have to be skilled enough to be a match or be a be a yeah. decent competitor for the predator but the only way that could work is if they were normal people who ended up losing their humanity in survival these mm. are these mm. are the worst of the worst so when alice braga's chastising adrian brody for being a bit of a loner and mercery this is where you go well that's why they don't want to touch it what about you it's inconsistent as far as like because you're right in that you know yeah it should be like the baddest of badasses but also um military and militarism when portrayed on screen especially in and around the 2000s it was very 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 difficult to uh, again total political hot potato because you know what's the um the old eric andre sketch he's talking about you gotta support the troops do you i mean the troops (laughs) as a concept but you specifically are an (laughs) asshole yeah (laughs) it's like um so it's you can't just like uh the, the film doesn't want to i guess um, make any big bold statements in kind of in protest at the concept of warfare. So then you have this sort of strange, like picking and choosing. Like, are some of them the goody soldiers? It's glossed over, I think, because uh, the, the the audiences aren't really politicized. I don't think a lot of the people watching this aren't going to know. So it's glossed over in general terms. Yeah, and if you get too deep into, it, maybe this isn't the film to explore deeper political Mm. things but they then from the filmmaking point of view then and from like plotting and character development why are all these disparate military types who've been thrown into the middle of nowhere just accept royce as their leader aren't they all got Mm. their own leadership about them this he yeah (laughs) but you know what i mean because it's just i don't believe that they just lie down and say usually in a film like this you get someone to say who fucking put you in charge and mm, like, yeah, yeah. Well, where is it to that point patrick about why they all fall under rank and file with royce for me that's the heart of the drama you know in the first film the internal conflict within the the team is that arnold as dutch is the team leader and he is on a he's on a, a mission under false pretenses he doesn't mm. trust dylan and dylan has got a an agenda and that mm. is the thing that drives that that dynamic within the group until 
we you know the predator comes on screen here we're spending i think it's about 23 minutes when we first see and forgive me if the time stamp is wrong i was trying to do the devlin thing but i'm not as good um so we've got about 20 odd yeah we've got about 20 odd minutes with these characters we know we're in a predator film so we know that predators will turn up at some point it's a 23 minutes galley the predator vision oh he was right yeah yeah Yeah. so so we know we're in that movie and we've all bought tickets and this is the well some of us didn't none of you did i did um but we we know we're in a predator film so we've got 20 minutes where we're going to develop character and develop some conflict they don't do it Mm, is it because topher grace is the uh the dylan in a way um i mean he's worse than dylan obviously but he's the one um and we don't find that out until much later so Mm. that drama is hidden completely isn't it no foreshadowing they did put a glance in there's one glance that i noticed but it's not over the scalpel with the poison is the gun isn't it you know like if you're going to show a gun you bring it up later but also brody saying he's the odd one out he's got to be something the the problem with tova gross's character edwin for me was let's use him as bait and he doesn't argue he just does it that comes down to the the (laughs) idea of ruthlessness or not like alice braga's isabel is largely shown as being like a dedicated soldier and a generally uh good person she generally never wants to leave anyone behind she's the only one who shows outright compassion nikolai mm-hmm. is also shown as being uh very sympathetic he's the first person to say his name he says it immediately i think what you're saying galley about uh, you know are they supposed to be the worst of the worst or are they just supposed to be extremely competent at killing and then they try and get a little sneaky bit of almost philosophical you know the hemingway quote about the hunting of a man and it's like they're trying to get to the root of these people's usefulness in society is based around their ability and capability to do violence on behalf of whatever group it is that has their become their subset, either their their, their military or Yakuza. So when he says, you know, you do it for the country. Yeah, for the Yakuza, it's for your that's basically your clan. That's your family. Hmm. Uh, you do so for national uh, um, whatever reason people join up into militaries but they didn't want to interrogate that which i guess is fine in a one hour 40 minute b movie to not want to get too too deep into it without them (laughs) without them uh um sort of hating each other or getting into conflict over this thing Mm. then yeah then you don't it's like if if you're not going to philosophically get into this stuff which probably you shouldn't you should at least have more fun with it you know what the difference between you and me is we both did the same thing. You just do it for a country, so you don't have to admit you like it. What happened to you? I mean, just so fucked up. There is no hunting like the hunting of a man. And those who have hunted armed men long enough and like it never really care for anything else thereafter. It's pretty poetic. Did you come up with that all by yourself? No, actually. That was Hemingway. From the writing point of view, though, that feels like when we get to Roland's uh, hideout, because it, it really slams the brakes on there, and we get Nikolai with a photo, we get Stan with his tattoo. I mean, it is still... They're trying to... Uh, build up character within that section so that beginning bit it's 
I don't know. I don't really buy it. Apart from like not giving Stans a gun and refusing him because of their preconceptions, it's it comes later for the majority of them. Like Danny Trejo is who is he? I, I struggle to think that a Mexican cartel enforcer would be quite happy to go under the the stewardship mm-hmm. of an American black ops mercenary. I know he doesn't know that, but he. Kn- just the fact that he's American. I, I don't yeah. know. You've got this diverse cast of characters. Explore those differences and those conflicts. Mm-hmm. And then, in a way, you can show how you can um, get past those prejudices through like working as a team. And they don't really do that. I also like that the, there is diversity, but it didn't feel too forced to me. I know that they are literally just dropping in from the sky and they are kind of shorthands. And you could, I'm sure if I was any of the ethnic minorities involved i might be upset with some of the depictions but to me it felt like it it wasn't as forced it feels like a, a, a diversity like as a, as you get now in, in films yeah 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 it, it feels like a, an organic way to get something like that i didn't feel like the, there's a japanese character because there's japanese money behind this film i didn't mm. feel anything like that which is happening a lot with korea at the moment korea is putting tons of money into into films and you have a token Korean character here, here or there. And I'm sure it, in Korea, they really appreciate it because you can identify with someone on, on screen in a, in a big, big movie. But, you know, from a Western perspective, it can sometimes feel forced. And I didn't really get that. If I can like structurally speaking by having a, um, you know, a group of potentially dangerous people, you know, and I can say that they all are because lots of them are portrayed, uh, um, some villainously some less so but nobody's really seems to be like an outright scumbag walton goggins's performance has to, uh, again that's probably a separate little issue is how they present stands as a character but um you have the monster within the group you have the hidden monster within the group which is edwin whose heel turn at the end mm-hmm. shows him to Ga- be Gally's so whiplash. Oh, yeah. He loves murdering so much that even if he's in a, a, a mud pit <laughs> on a intergalactic moon, having been chucked in there by an eight foot tall fucking hunter freak, he will still do a murdering and love it because he bloody loves murdering. But here's the thing. Why didn't he just slit her throat and kill her? Well, I assumed the idea was that he was going to paralyze her and then he was going to do so slowly and enjoy it because that's how they present these kind of, you know, super freak murderers. But um, if that is the case, he should have done something. There should have been an unexplained death within the group further back in the film. Mm-hmm. But he killed Danny Trejo. Yeah, you need to you need to then stoke up. That's going to be another inciting incident for these people who should be in a very uneasy alliance. Mm-hmm. If some, if you wake up and one of you is dead, and not at the hand of the terrifying thing that's out there, but it's like somebody. Well, that's why Lost works as well because Lost was like yeah. that. Yeah, I totally um, agree, Devs. That was, it was my in throughout yeah. the when we got to the re- revelation, I was like, they have left this too late, and they should mm-hmm. have had an unexplained death. Mm-hmm. That was him, or was it? And then we could have somebody be suspicious of him. Yeah, we have Stans as well. Stans is, is you know a death row murderer who was on his way to to be True. killed. Um, he's got a knife. He's clearly uh, the bad guy. But yeah, everyone's so a it suspect. Would, it would make 
And, yeah, it know. would make sense that the group would turn on him and then he would be, yeah. you know, legitimately being able to say, I didn't do it. And then that means that the aggression turns outwards, the whole alliance mm -hmm. kind of fractures. And even if you just get one scene out of it where it looks like they might all just kill each other off, you know, and then somebody gets to do the big scene where it's like, but it's, the monsters are out there. We're making a Predator film as well, so we we can only put so much of this stuff in. But I think the stuff they included wasn't as economical as it it, it should have been. It should have been clearly laid out and done quickly. You've got the blueprint from the first film. Mac does not trust Dylan from the get-go. Right. You see that on Easy Alliance, and then they work together. Like, it's not you know it's not rocket science. I just don't understand why they didn't do that. Perhaps we shouldn't dick about with Lawrence Fishburne in that daft uh, underground layer. Do more character stuff with the characters you've actually introduced rather than bring in a, a completely new... I mean, I had, it reminded me of War of the Worlds. War of the Worlds is a film that I really enjoy, but I only enjoy it up until a certain point. Andy, Andy Dufresne turns and <laughs> The Tim Robbins <laughs> shit really, as Devlin says, it grinds my gears. I... I, I <laughs> occasionally turn it off and I, I really like the invasion and then I, I can kind of stop watching it and again are we doing this because rodriguez is pulling from all of his favorite films i think so yeah and and, when, and what we might have and we haven't really explored it yet is nimrod antal has been hired by rodriguez rodriguez is the producer watching the making of you can see that rodriguez has got his hand he's on it, I I just wonder if the he was he was able to work with freedom, but freedom within Rodriguez's vision. Because I would have very I like that puppeteer, um, but I would have very much liked to have seen again a creative challenge on that and say, okay, we've got Lawrence. Imagine right, you've got an opportunity to work with Lawrence Fishburne, then use him properly. He he literally comes in. And goes out, and he really doesn't leave a great deal of the mark, other than, as Patrick rightfully said in the summary, the contrivance of giving some weapons to people. Who's cutting his hair? He's got a fresh fade. <laughs> well, he, he looks like he's eating predators as well. So that's how he's killed the three of them. He's having a flame-grilled warthog. And that's a really picky, like, criticism in the basement beard dweller, but he, he looks so... You want beard someone dweller. who's thin and just... <laughs> Who's just surviving, you know? And well, the, the only the only way, and this is me being—I mean, I'm doing some serious mental gymnastics—is if we're going apocalypse now, and he's clearly the Brando character. Yeah. Brando also wasn't mm -hmm. necessarily jungle fit, so maybe well, Brando maybe, had a—he yeah. had an entire army of, of of people going out and doing his bidding for him. He was mm. a, a godhead to it. It also it also feels like a really odd way knowing that you know that these creatures see thermal imaging, that you would smoke people out. Um, <laughs> why, when, especially when you feed them, why don't you just poison them? Like, I, did, I couldn't no, get... No, they, like, they can't see the heat through the ship from the outside. Mm. Is that what it's, it is? Until, until Royce Brady blows, up, blows it up and puts a mm. hole in it to create fire, and the external, they, they predators can't see the internal. Well, it's it's so um, exposition, isn't it? It's the aliens mm, yeah. hunting threes, and they run a different season, and the predators come down with new armor, new tech every now and then. I, Which I is, been... It's interesting to see like predator politics in the film. Don't show Which... too much. Predator no. politicians no, now. Much. I quite like the original Predator strung up. You know, there's an intrigue yeah. there. Like the, to the totem pole there? predator is one of my favorite things. I, I really like it. The way it's what sort of... happened there? You know, it, it's yeah. 
that's an intrigue. We don't get the answer. It's just it's a tied up mm. thing. Maybe that's the key to these things. Show the image like an alien with the space jockey, but don't explain it. Just like this. Show a great image, but don't go into why it's there. Don't tell us everything. Uh, can I go to Fishburne? I, I I didn't believe him as that character. I know he's a great actor, but I just didn't believe that he was that character. I could see the performance. I could see the acting. They'd ripped his shirt a little bit in in like very neat little holes. And if if it's, I didn't see the making of, but Rodriguez was very good at bringing actors in for a day or two, probably a couple of days for Fish, right? Yeah, maybe a couple of days. And uh, Danny Trejo, maybe one. Uh, or two, but, yeah. um, and then he wraps them out and, and they're gone and he's really good at doing this, but I didn't believe that he had any investment in this character and I didn't believe it at all. He's still, I mean, it's when you say you can see the prof uh, the performance, that does mm. make sense. There's moments in it where he is doing very good stagecraft, like mm -hmm. the way that he keeps his eyes locked on Alice Braga at a certain point mm. for an uncomfortably long period of time during the conversation uh, before moving on. It's like, but again, but I noticed it, and so that right. means that it's stagey. It's stagey good acting, but yeah, it's not immersive. Hey, uh, Agent Orange, you want to put that down? Certain people around here particular about other people messing with their shit. Very important, though. Disrupts the heat signature. You motherfuckers. So you killed one? Killed two, maybe three. I can't remember. Anyway, there's two different types of them out there. Now hmm? yeah, they're similar, but they're different. It's kind of like the difference between dogs and wolves. The ones that are running things up there, the larger ones hunt the smaller ones. It's some kind of blood feud, I guess, been going on for a long time. Well, again, this is where um, Matt's absolutely right. Like explaining, explaining certain things means that you then have questions that you wouldn't ask had they not mentioned it. So when he's mm. talking about seasons, right? Well, what's the length of a season? They want that to be yeah. a bit of a mystery. But then we're also told that they go away, they learn. Is it the same three? I don't think it's going to be the same three predators. So you could assume that they never know that they didn't get Fishburne and that's how he's managed to survive mm. because they're not mm. really looking for him. Although I do like the idea of, of a wanted poster um, saying <laughs> Mor Morpheus is the most dangerous man uh, <laughs> uh, on the planet. Um, for Zion! Yeah, but, <laughs> but I just think that whole, again, if you've got fish, and you're right, Rodriguez is classic at this, hence why Sin City, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, Desperado, you just bring in these like known mm. face, known entities that come in, get out, and they bring heft and weight and you know gravity to the to the to the production. This one felt like a misstep. And and I and it only becomes more of a misstep when, as we discussed earlier, you haven't explored the dino within the group properly. Um and made that interesting. So we're essentially only going to Fishburne because we need a pause in the action. And it's also mm. that whole, you know, we've discussed it in Predator. The reason why they have enough time to build their traps is because they wounded it, right? In this one, mm -hmm. they just say, we'll hold, we'll just make out like we're holding up. Surely, like, they were hunting. You've just attacked them. They would attack you, right? They wouldn't just wait mm. for you to hold up. Uh, and then I think there's a line where he's like, 
the the other creature again another thing that's just not explained really in the film but why have it if yeah. you're not going to use it and they say oh it, it can see our traps so that means they set traps but we didn't see them set traps that's fine we're in a predator movie but everything's happening at like 100 miles an hour until it stops dead so that kind of lack of rhythm means that these pauses feel longer than they they are actually in screen time yeah i'd, I'd written that this felt like a dip it was about an hour did you say it, it is the morpheus stuff uh exactly <laughs> halfway point 50 ish minutes so like literally that's the dead center of the timeline yeah, yeah i really felt that one i think we had this though in one of the alien versus predator films where you think they just kill them quickly mm. and efficiently they're exposed and they've been caught and found i, I always question why the predators don't are they savoring it are they buying their time there's something that bothered me with this i just thought well they they could kill them right then and there and they don't mm. they they, they have the the weird get out clause of oh they're learning from us they bring in new new killers and then they learn this is where their their training ground but it's that's again questions are raised and you'll ask them only if you are not being entertained in the moment because you have time to think about it and mm. if you are being blitzed with awesome shit happening you don't really care Mm. and because there there isn't as much they have a big ensemble and the people don't die and that's like okay i guess but you have to have something else happen if that's yeah. the case because you only yeah. lose um Cuchillo in the yeah. in, in the kind of in the main run in the main bulk of the runtime it's commendable not to go down that route of body count but do that again we keep going back to whether well, you're gonna to have to do something more with these characters then right um yeah matt i'm gonna go back to the so what do we think of the you know we may as well get get straight to it what do we think of the the dogs and the the new yaucha uh the 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 super slim hashtag one. not my yaucha yeah i thought that too um over i'd say the face when they take the mask off which thankfully is not for very long it's almost over designed i don't know if you can the, have the, there's that's... a lower teeth problem uh with one of them i thought I the mask had been altered too much uh it didn't look the way i thought it should uh, i thought the totem pole predator for lack of a better description i thought they nailed that that was really good well that's the original design isn't yeah it? it's, I, just... it's this idea of a one-upsmanship there's a wolf predator or whatever uh like the alpha um the oh, one that ends berserker. up helping. he's berserker okay Rem so you know for, for avid listeners you know that these predators have all got names remember we had celtic from avp well they named these ones luckily again i mean i think it would be funny if if one of them said uh, faulkner <laughs> trackers uh lost the scent uh but they don't do that the shame <laughs> uh but but yeah so they're called faulkner tracker and berserker my love for you is like a truck berserker <laughs> <laughs> i can only see that this is a way of filmmaking so that they can refer to them on set and know which mm. suit they're designing or where their their journey is because to call them though those names if having watched the film feels weird to me because they're not yeah. They don't have names in the film, so for me, they don't have names. It's it's has I to be a filmmaking for ident thing. Identification, and also, I think by the time you get to this point, you have got the um the the toy line uh is turning out like extraordinarily detailed stuff, and people fucking love them. And so there are designs that you can buy these extremely detailed little seven inch kind of action figures of. 
of predators that have never been on screen. It's just like people, um, yeah, you know, it's, uh, the falcon one. He's got a little. He's got a little. Uh, little. He's got a little. Uh, got a little bird in it. So I guess it makes sense. I, I mean, the, the monsters, like the idea of like these other creatures bringing creatures into the mix. I'm very stuck in 1993. I'm I'm like a, a T Rex guy, and every time they bring in a Spinosaurus or an Indominus Rex or any of that rubbish, I always side with with the T-Rex, you know, so it's the same thing here. So like, the films. <laughs> they kind of do, don't they? They have a lot of, um, even in that new one, even in the new one, um, they kind of have some, uh, rever- what's it called? Reverential treatment of the T-Rex, maybe. T-Rex always comes through. Yeah. So this one, maybe that's why I like the original Predator design. And anytime they fuck with the animatronics or anything, I get upset. I'm I'm also not as keen on the new design. I just think it looks slightly over-designed. But I did appreciate the, you know, personality through the mask. You know, one's got tusks, one's got, uh, like you say, a little bird. At least we can funny. differentiate. Yeah, and we yeah, can differentiate yeah. them. And, and, we, and it's very, very clear who the alpha is in their trio. Um, I guess it's just a shame then that they feel so easily dispensed again until we get mm. to the, the main one. And in fact, we can talk about how the, the main one gets killed because that also feels a bit like, oh, I thought we got past this. I, I think it weakens the character. We, we talked about the xenomorph being weakened. It, the way the predator, the final predator is dispatched by Musley Brody at the end is, um, I don't think it's good for the ugh, franchise of the you know, mm. the series, you know. Uh, well, the legacy, let's go to the legacy. The legacy, the thank monster. you, Patrick. Because that other word makes me sick. Um, so when that when that happens and the brutality of that final thing, not only is it weakening the character, but it's not in the spirit of the original Predator. He, it, al- although he self destructs and and he's ultimately beaten by Arnold, he's taken out the whole team, and Arnold is left a battered, muddy man in the back of a helicopter. We talked about how the first film, McTiernan's Predator eighty seven, was subverting this this kind of action ideal of big muscly and we watch these big muscly alphas end up being scared right you know mm-hmm. you ain't afraid of no man right yeah all that stuff right if they thought they were replicating it they've done the thing where i don't think you've watched the film right or yeah, you're misread just gonna, you, you've completely misread what mctiernan was doing in this Brody does not get that opportunity or they don't present that opportunity. And I wonder if that's because were they conscious of the fact that he's a different body type and he's a different actor that doesn't necessarily have that kind of action weight behind him. But I just thought, there's your missed opportunity. I've not seen Prey, but I could not work out why they wouldn't have gone down a different route. These are all alphas. Alphas get beaten why don't you try a different tactic that will beat these predators, which is not the mano a mano duel, who's going to win, let's take our tops off. Maybe let's do something more intelligent. They don't do it, and I just could not work out why they wouldn't, because that's your point of difference. It's, it's all good, Guy. I agree with all of that. It, I is think the action... difference with Brody is that he is a... He doesn't care about the others. You know, they're they're dispensable to him. Is there an agenda to make him an action star? Do you think? Do you think he wants this role to? He wants to be like an Arnold, and he's covered in mud because Arnie was covered in mud. It's not like Arnie was covered in mud because he realized as he slid out of the, you know, it all it was organic. In this one, it's like, oh well, I have to have my top off and be muddy. Did did we get into all of the the similarities? I mean, I've got pages here 
Do you want to do any of them? I mean, the minigun, the score, the jungle locale. Uh, if you want to talk about um, Adrian Brody, like with some of his lines at the end, I'm here, come on, kill me, do it now, are the exact same lines. And he's covered in mud and he's brandishing fire. It's a total redo of of that ending. I said up front, Adrian Brody, not the problem in this movie. So, you know, the easy criticism is to look at him at the front of a poster that says Predators and go, not my, not my action lead. I have no issue with him whatsoever as the, as being the action lead. My issue is that the character is completely yeah. and utterly vanilla. Like again, mm. we are we are what 20, 20, 30 years removed from the first film. Introduce new tactics. He he essentially does the very same things that we saw in eighty seven and makes the same the same kind of assessments as he goes through. So we, there is no development there. He is essentially an avatar, just action. He bland. uses fire, don't we all? I mean, you know, it's just, it's just, a, it's such a shame. Don't we it, all? It's a, it's a, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it it, it was it, to the point where I was getting frustrated at the film because I could see it being better as I was watching it. I was like, not that I'm some sort of guru. I just think like, yeah, just have a little bit more thought behind every action and, and consequential action. We've had a bit of a tussle over like how you can see the same things developing again in a sequel that we've already seen in a previous film. And we've had a bit of a tussle about it, but I think it ultimately comes down to, do we like watching these characters experience those things that we know? Because we know how predators work and we know how they hunt, but are we enjoying seeing these characters figure it out or not? And I don't think I was enjoying seeing them figure it out enough. It felt very easy and a bit unnecessary and also mm. really badly explained the way that um, we had Adrian Brody turn to Alice Braga and say, you know what that thing is. And then she starts reading out the synopsis. For the first film, yeah. Mm. <laughs> well, I get Alice Braga to the next film, actually. Alice, what's the plot summary to Exorcist? <laughs> Story time with Alice Braga. Yeah. <laughs> like, no follow-up to ask, oh, how do you know this? Hmm. Where'd you read this? Where did hmm. an where did a, a an IDF sniper who seems to be in her maybe late twenties yeah. get access to extremely restricted Convenient. CIA files from America? We don't have a name for them. Eighty-seven Guatemala. A spec ops team went into the jungle. High end. Six men plus a CIA liaison. Only one made it out. In his debrief, he said they came in contact with something. He gave a detailed description. The thing on the totem. It wore some kind of camouflage that adjusted to ambient light. Made it nearly invisible in our spectrum. He could see in infrared, heat signatures. He used mud to block his. That's how he beat it. Does the film even need it at that point? Like, I don't think it actually needed it. It's just for Brody to understand how to defeat it, isn't it? No, but that's my point is, well, there's there's your opportunity then for him to do something different and for the film to do something different. Yeah. Especially when Ronald says, he goes, how do you kill it? And he says, However you can. I, I think it's like a South Park, uh, you know, uh, member, you know, that thing with the, the member berries. It's like, oh, remember that? And then she tells the story and that's what they do with these kinds of things. They hook it back in. The constant callbacks 
ordinarily they don't really bother me, but I found it to be just overpopulated to the point where structurally scene and plot beats were identical, but they're not doing something different with it. They're just mm-hmm. slightly, they're just slightly uh, tweaking it. So instead of Arnold being thrown off a cliff, they all set and thrown off it a cliff. It never goes beyond homage. They never take it to another stage. Like I had some um, car wax for how much they mimicked the McTiernan shallow focus on the photography, some of it, the way the net goes up, the blue light and the flash, yeah, it's exactly yeah. the same. They're, they've been really attentive in the mimicry of the first. But if, look at the Jim Commandments again. You've got to take it somewhere. You've got to subvert it. You've got to go a bit further with it. But it never gets beyond the homage. Um, I will say that that, um, that homage was one of the things that I did really like about it. The first watch I had, I was kind of on board. And I think that that was... Um, uh, inspired by the fact that it felt like we were back in a proper Predator movie. The sure, um, yeah. Sometimes it can be cheap uh, bullshit to have like music cues especially come back in and, and, you know, it can feel really tacky. I felt like here they'd done a good job of capturing somewhat the feeling of the of the prior film for all the problems that we have of a lack of depth or a lack of maybe uh, taking anything further. At least it felt right. And after two films that felt all the way wrong, it was nice to at least be on sure footing in that sense. Absolutely, Devlin. I, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna say now. Um, it probably feels like we've been really harsh. I guess what what this is demonstrating is that at surface level, watching it because I've watched it twice this week, I had no issues really. Like I, I could watch this film and just kind of in. I say enjoy it. I can just watch it and kind of go with it, and it'll have no issue. And, but obviously, one of the things that we are tasked when we when we are reviewing these things and looking back is, you know, we're trying to you know critically analyze. Well, what is it the thing that works for us? What is it the thing that doesn't? Once you put this film into like a sharp focus, this is well, this is what you get, which is our discussion, which is actually, you know, scratch beneath the surface, and there's a whole host of, I wouldn't even say they're issues. I'd just say they're missed opportunities. And when I'm watching it, I was thinking, God. You know, you you're onto something here. You've got one. You've got forty million quid. So you know, make make a make a predator film. You've got Robert Rodriguez. You've got Troublemaker Film uh, Studios. So you've got all the tools, um, but you've decided to go for what, like the path of least resistance, which is to do an almost carbon copy of the first film, which just makes you go, oh, I think I'll go watch the first. That's that's the that's the feeling, isn't it? Which is, what's the point? I don't know whether being harsh. I feel like. I know the sandwiches are quite early here, but the collective feeling I get from us is we're quite disappointed by it. From ADPR boiled my piss. This yeah. did not do anything <laughs> like that at all. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, it was it was a real like um, it was yeah again sandwiches a bit of a split between first watch and second watch. Maybe if I'd have just like glanced at it on telly and moved on, I would have probably been left with a more positive reaction to it. Matt, you said about the digital kind of aspect of it now. I think this film actually looks all right. Yeah. There's there's bits yeah. here and there, certainly, but fucking hell, I can see everyone and they, they're lit. They are lit and, the, you know, like they're, there's a, they're trying some nice visuals that the, we spoke about the, the, um, Hanzo scene, but there's some lovely visuals in it. I was going to ask Dev about that, actually. Was there anything that, 
um, in, in Japanese cinema that that reminded you of? Because it, it's clearly a Billy yeah. reference, the, the two of them. It's another yeah. face-off between yes. the two of them. But the way the grass moves, I haven't seen mm. all the lone wolf stuff. Is there any, is it like river sticks, any of that stuff? I mean, that that is like, a, the, the you know, the um, the open grass field kind of swaying. You know, yeah. Some of the, um, some of the, uh, um, like seven samurai stuff has that sort of patient lots of right. shots of uh of, um his character name is an unusual one hanzo because the the first thing it made me think of was the character hanzo the razor but the character of hanzo the razor is completely different uh-huh. to this guy he's uh it's an edo era cop character and the idea is that he's incorruptible in a very corrupt time whereas hanzo is supposed to be playing a, a yakuza enforcer who is again this is you know when you're saying that um, probably if you were being represented by any of these characters, you might feel a little uh, less inclined to be um, uh, uh, so kind of forgiving of the portrayal. Hmm. But um, being the inscrutable, silent Asian is a thing. <laughs> he was quite interesting, though. I'll give it. He like, was. Yeah. He, he holds That's... the screen and he has the intrigue. Yeah. I like. I wondered if the taking his shoes off and dipping his toes into the ground was a diehard mm. thing or if it's just an interesting thing for Hanzo. Yeah. I just think I, it, it, I think it's, it's shorthand as well that he doesn't fit in to yeah. the setting and, 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 and that's what I enjoyed about and this is <laughs> go beyond cosplaying but he he stood out particularly because he really doesn't fit in to the mm. background so that contrast I thought mm. was really really quite yeah. nice I thought he popped was... and I also thought the actor as well in not saying any lines was was incredibly expressive yeah and it's really nice humor as well but also because he, he's like the leader of a yakuza gang which doesn't necessarily make him as formidable as some of the other characters either just because you run a a gang like that doesn't mean you could take on a, a predator so they've plucked him out presumably because he's responsible for deaths via his Gang or something. That was the only one that didn't quite click, but he kind of works. Well, the, the other Hanzo thing was the Kill Bill connection, which there's a famous clip of Tarantino reading the first draft of Kill Bill to Robert Rodriguez, who's filming it on a camcorder. And it's just this handwritten draft, and Rodriguez is loving it. You know, like they're best buddies at, at the time. So that's a Hattori Hanzo, which I'm sure comes from some obscure reference in, in Asian cinema that I, that I don't know about. But. Mm. But I do wonder, you know, you mentioned there, uh, Matt, about, you know, the face-off. Mm. We don't see Billy and Predator, Predator have their face-off. We cut it's away. It's off-camera, yeah. We hear yeah. the scream. King Willie, my favourite character from Predator 2, we don't see his face-off <laughs> either. Big Willie. With, uh, <laughs> Big Willie style. We don't get to see mm. into the eyes of the demon. Um, mm. I wonder if it's a bit of a be careful what you wish for, because I must say, conceptually and i imagine that that image especially if uh, an artist had, uh, had had rendered it of mm. you know a, a, a japanese uh, samurai and a predator you can see the storyboarding can't you, you can see it and yeah. go that would and i you know we're going to use the c word that would be cool but i think <laughs> on screen on screen i was like oh it looks is it like the graphic movie. novel thing like the alien resurrection thing where most of it works on the pages <laughs> of a, a a comic book yeah. but it doesn't really translate i'll take the hanzo scene i'll take it i i was really interested in it and it held my attention i immediately saw the billy thing and then oh we are gonna see okay cool and I saw, I mean, if we are going down the stereotypes of respectful, he's a Japanese death, 
and the Predator respecting him as an enemy and fighting. I quite like the combat thing there. What I didn't like is when, and it's just so inconsistent, this, is when the Predator kills Ronald and then slowly walks towards Edwin. Mm. I don't get that. I don't. You can argue, you can tell me again that they're learning from each other, but not at that point. Why yeah. did it take him? Why did he just walk slowly in the blue light? Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't understand that. It's. Um, I mean, whether it's assessing threat levels and it's assessing Edwin to not be a threat, but that doesn't make any sense. Or that you know, yeah, you end up having to like you. You're playing like four dimensional chess against a chimp. It's. They haven't learned anything from him yet, but if they're not going to yeah. learn anything at that point, they. Yeah, I don't know. It's the same with uh, with with Stan's doing his, you know, just get out of here. You're like, well, this character at no point has ever demonstrated that that, that they would sacrifice themselves um, for anybody else. I lo- but I loved it. I loved the how aggressive and vicious he was in the stabbing with the knife. But yeah, it all felt a bit like, well, it's your time to go now. I'm afraid, Stan. So that was it. But it's it's the third it's the third time that you've now had a character do the whole go on without me. I got this kind of thing, and it's you can play that trope out a lot. Hanzo's one was like, okay, we have to just accept it because we have to, you know, we've been accustomed to on screen appearances of this, you know, Bushido kind of, you know, the code of the samurai. No, he's going to stand his ground and. It's a little culturally. I saw it's a bit of a suicide have... as well, though. Yeah, uh, exactly. It's it's it, the same way that Billy is, and Billy being the odd man out in in Predator as being a Native American who's more attuned to things. It's kind of you can fall into the sort of uh, the 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 magical kind of foreign character trope, but it did make sense, and it was. A, I I also thought the scene was actually pretty decent. It looked nice. It was a uh, it was a nice little self contained thing. It, it had a different look to it to the rest of the film, which I actually thought helped. Um, yeah, uh, Walton Goggins, Uncle Baby Billy himself. Yeah, we've we've been avoiding Walton, haven't we? Since since we since we start from from the end of his character, where he does get to have the you know he gets the fuck you defiant death, and then he gets his spine and skull ripped out. But um, that looks cool. I will give the film kudos. It's physical when it needs to be great, physical. Great and... squelchy effect. Predator versus Predator fighting is nice and physical. When you compare, again, compare that to AVP and Alien versus Predator uh, uh, digital CGI fights, it doesn't hold up to this for me. Um, but Goggins, he, um, I love Goggins. There's some troublesome and difficult dialogue for him, isn't there? Why does it come off as mean-spirited and just yeah. trashy and nasty rather than something that should be in a film like this? You can set up a misogynistic, like, someone who enjoys tormenting other people easier what, than that. What but... about the connection to, like, a, like um, Danny Trejo's character in Con Air, Johnny 23, who's a rapist? I was and just it, thinking it, that... Um... It treads a line, doesn't it? It, this one is, is somehow more egregious. It's the line, I'm going to rape me some fine bitches. Yeah. And it's really jarring because it just feels like a, it feels like a poorly writ childish line of dialogue. Mm. And it's mm. so striking because it's like, really? I, I've written weirdly out of place and mean spirited. That's all. Yeah. I- and I think t- we we haven't even discussed tone for this movie, but it is very mm. po-faced. So mm. actually, to have this 
incredible like to go counter programming the other end of the spectrum and have this kind of edge law dialogue just does not marry at all with the tone of the whole film like unchallenged and he ends up falling into the kind of like a Conair was was a, a great reference that made me think of that as well the way that we view steve buscemi in Conair, which is like you end up almost not rooting for him. Go on, child murderer. Like, win at the he's like <clears throat> win at the blackjack yeah. table or whatever it is. It's like the framing. So when we have the uh, the the sequence where he's staring at Alice Braga's uh, ass and then says, "Your ass is awesome." Is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. And we, as an audience, are staring at it along with him first. Yeah. And the and teenage boys turned. in the audience who are also maybe laughing at stupid rape jokes, which is and we. You know, she gives an eye roll and that's it. It's yeah. like yeah. there's no payoff to any of it. There's no, yeah. um, it's you know, you look at he, Sam Rockwell he's... in The Green Mile, I think it, that, mm. that's the kind of thing you should aspire to with that tone and the, the yeah. level of, of character because it, it's they're miles apart. You put them side to side, it's one's done well, one's done poorly. He either needs to be worse. He needs to be worse to be around. But he just, for the most part, he's just trundling along with the rest of the of the group. Are um, they trying to vilify him so that the death is very satisfying? Or because I, you can't I, do that, then Matt, and then uh, have him do the joke with the tattoo. Oh, no question, they're failing. I was just wondering if that was maybe their misguided intent. I think it is, Matt. I think it is. It's a misguided, like, oh, he's atoned for his sins. Like, yeah. he's, you know, if they if they thought uh, that we were they were creating a character that we couldn't wait to get killed then they failed miserably mm-hmm. because yeah, it, yeah. It, it's it's definitely not that. And maybe, you know, not maybe, but Walton Goggins is a, an incredible screen presence. But as you say, Patrick, he cannot make these lines work. And this is where you want the director to step in and kind of think, you know what, we're on set, we're doing this. And you think Rodriguez would, would do something about it. Mm. If you're sitting there and you, you think that this is okay, there's something wrong. And, if Rodriguez is friends with Tarantino, could he imagine this in a Tarantino script? It'd be written better, yeah. and it'd be delivered better, and it would be more believable. Or you do three or four versions. Okay, that's the that's the really that's the really edgy stuff. We've got like a line that's a little bit softer, and then one that's a little bit more vanilla, and then in the edit we can we can go right. Does it work tonally? They clearly were nah in the script this is it he can say something kind of gross and sexual like he can say so. it's just the the, the, the look. dumbness yeah the blunt dumbness of what they went with but they also fail with Topher grace i think oh i've got a few paragraphs here there you go on matt wind him up and let him go here we go well I've, the first note was holy shit eric foreman shut the fuck up <laughs> from that 70s shows in it dumbass that was my first note uh and then i yep. got into a whole thing about this idea of comic relief and when did this begin and was it star wars with with 3po and r2 like why does this need to be here somebody mm. in some boardroom has has you know put this forth as there needs to be comic relief and then we've got this also yeah. that this kind of mistaken identity thing where he turns out to be a real the real villain of the, of the piece mm. but yet he's also playing a sitcom-esque uh the the gags don't land for me uh it's kind of embarrassing the the standing up in the shallow water 
is like you you were onto something with this film you were in the first 10 minutes and i was in there was mystery and then suddenly a guy's doing the old oh the water's actually very it's cheap mm. gags it's placeholder gags almost it's the delivery of the lines as well matt i mean i found him to be like you said sitcom it was exactly where i went i was like when he does the when he gets chased you've just had this chase where he's being chased by some alien creature alice brog has done a shot the, again there's a mystery We've undercut it when he does the fuck all of you. And I'm like, oh my God, what are we doing here? What? This is no place in the film. And as I say, it's about tone. Tonally, they've set up a film that's saying, we're going to make Predator. We're going to kind of reinvigorate this franchise. We're going to give power back to the creature. We're going to give power back to this type of premise. But within it, we're going to destroy it by having this character who undermines all of it. It, it, it annoyed me. <laughs> Come on, come on. Oh, shit! Come on, come on. Fucking shoot! Shoot already! Fuck! All of you! He has this problem, the same problem that Jason Bateman has which is he's got permanent sarcasm. There, there's, you can't get beyond it. If you ever listen to that that podcast they do, Smartless, um, with Jason Bateman and Will Arnett and uh, the guy from Will and Grace, it's permanent sarcasm. And when someone is like that, you meet people in life who are, who are like it too. And not, everything comes off as insincere, no matter what they're, what they're doing. And I think it could be a problem with, with him personally, perhaps, uh, I, he strikes me as someone who who thinks he's funny. He feels and like it, a performer. Like, yeah. I've always found with Spider-Man 3, I just felt Grace is just acting. And, mm -hmm. and this is acting. He, his best role for me has been Black Clansman. I don't know whether you've seen that. Well, he's yeah. actually fucking really good. And tra but... Traffic work, works in Traffic for mm, me sure. because he's kind of a s smarmy little, you know, know-it-all. Do, do you buy the whiplash? galley at the end no not at all and and also we're, we're too late into the film playing it broad as well like he does the you know his eyes roll back and his whole face changes and it's mm -hmm. like surely it would be more terrifying if you still had the kind of genial pathetic persona like over the top of like of you know that it just feels like you've gone the wrong way if you want to have the kind of I don't know, the Ted Bundy-esque, you know, monster hiding in plain sight type thing. Like, it doesn't work if they start playing it as a stereotypical, like, it's a supervillain, basically. And it's it was another thing that, uh, theoretically, everything in here, all of this lack of characterization or lack of kind of uh, um, taking everything to a, a, a more... Um, interesting layer either morally or or in storyline terms or um interpersonally any of this kind of the lack of interrogation that they went all of it works a lot better if you put this out as a six issue graphic novel and that means that it, everyone's characteristics having you know being so distinct you know everyone looks cool the the sword fight looks great as a big double page spread just with this, image you know, led you can see it and not to dis not to dismiss graphic novels as a as a genre because there is a lot that they can do that film can't and i think that this is one of the things that it could do is that it gives you as a reader the ability to skip past you can't 
if all speech has to be done by text in a bubble, you have to be economical and you can put stuff in between. And you can also get away with having somebody say something on a page that you probably couldn't get away with them saying on screen. Because maybe if we're saying that they shied away from getting into some of the more unpleasant or difficult interpersonal conflicts, it's because it's a real person saying it to another real person. And the film is more kind of, especially mainstream film, more restricted in what you can say because you are going to offend people. You put, you tuck it away in a comic, it's going to be read by a much smaller number of people. They're probably going to be able to contextualize it better. You're not going to get the furor that you would if, you know, let's say Walton Goggins and Maya Shala Ali are actually having essentially a racially motivated fight the moment they meet. I think it's just, it's another element that's like, it's clever, clever on the page and on screen. You either had to do it way better, which is going to use up an awful lot of the audience's bandwidth, considering we're in a, it's a foreign, uh, an intergalactic moon and you're being hunted by giant monsters that don't exist. You know, maybe it just, it splits the brain. It, it's, it's pulling our brains in too many directions. So instead they just didn't and they just kept it simple. And that's, I think that's the disappointment. Patrick asked a little bit earlier about um, what we thought of the CG and some of the effects. And I just thought that a lot of this stuff worked better when it was practical. I know I'm a broken record mm. with that stuff, but there's a weird thing at this time where CGI is, is really coming in and uh, replacing it. But we've still got KNB doing a lot of the, the Predator animatronics suits looked great I, I i i i know that you were saying that the designs probably were a little much for you guys i thought that they were yeah. i thought that the build of the suits was great i thought they looked great on screen compared to the fucking linebackers that we got in <laughs> 2004 in avp i thought that they feel yeah. right like you know i like the idea of having these little i don't know maybe uh um maybe i've got like 15 percent nerd in me that actually thinks that it's kind of fine and cool that people get to have these little action figures of what what if a predator was in was in the Arctic? So yeah, go for it. Why not? <laughs> you do. They only had three of them. It wasn't too many. Do you remember on Alien Three where the the CGI was dreadful, but the suit was getting really good? It's sort of like a sad mm. thing where this crossovers happened because the suits are almost perfect now, but the the, the shit CGI kind of taints it a, a bit at times. The decapitation. The CGI decapitation of the berserker was um, <laughs> well. It's like Walking Dead, isn't it? You know, on on the Walking Dead, yeah. you've you've got Greg Nicotero and and his team on that, and he's directing a lot of the episodes. And then you notice at a certain point, CGI blood is creeping in. It's like you've got KMB. Why are you trying to use CGI blood? Does anyone know if that's cheaper, Patrick? Is it more controlled? Is that why people are doing it? It, it can be. You don't have to change costumes. You don't have to reapply. You don't have to, and it can be, a, but it can be an afterthought as well. It's like more blood here, or uh, it, there's who knows the reasons why. But the movement of liquid, they never quite blood. nail it, do they? It's never oh. quite right. Fire in this. I mean, yeah. Nikolai's explosion. It is. It is shaky. You know yes. what? When that happened, I thought there was something different with the atmosphere or something with the fire and it came out it's all liquidy <laughs> but then it has another shot to actual fire like mm. low angle looking up into the sky i was like oh no it's just shit <laughs> like that's what real fire looks like that's what... fireball crevasse looks shit is that what you're talking about yeah yeah 
because it cuts to actual fire after the two shots of digital fire when they've climbed yeah. up the, the the rocks and they've escaped. Oh, so you gave them the benefit of the doubt for the first one, but the second I, I one thought it was did. an other, you know a, a, another planetary way that fire burns. Right. So I was like, fine, okay, but no, oh, we just cut to actual fire. In oh, okay, that looks. I will say this though, I think um, you know we've accused uh, sort of more uh, contemporary filmmakers of not really conceptualizing what they want to do and 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 integrating the digital effects i think um you know i think the director knew what shots were going to be digital and mm. and, and planned them yeah. and they felt planned i think it was just as as far as their budget and what they could achieve it was probably too ambitious you know the the falcon shot for me just goes on too long to the point where you can see the seams because we've been following it for so long that it ends up and it also it's supposed to be like a dun dun da, you know big big berserker by the end of it but because it felt a bit computer gamey it didn't really have the impact that i i would have wanted you know compare that to shane black's body being uh strung up in a tree and john mcturnan doing a very 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 slow you know kind of pan all the way up that tree yeah. kick a vulture I which, you remember that? yeah I, I just know which one i prefer and i guess you know i know it understands understandably you're able to do more with um integrating those visual effects into into your into your camera moves but there is a point where you know a shot can be too long essentially and i thought it was too long there, mm. there was there was one shot that actually i found quite effective from a oh god that looks horrible point of view mm. when the berserker predator stabs Topher grace in the back and mm. it was so slow and deliberate and just kind of, I don't know, there was something mm. so cold and matter of fact about it. And it, it looked quite convincing. I was like, mm. oh, God, that's fucking horrible. You know, like, I told oh, you that was my God. dream, wasn't it? I told you I, I, that was my dream as a predator would see that I was playing possum and stab me because it could see my thermal image. That was why I was scared of when I watched it as a kid. But Matt, what about the predator vision that's got a lot more clarity in this film and you see the details of the faces and effects more is that something you're more on board with and perhaps like? but you have to be careful because that's very it's been clearly established what that looks like and that's part of the uh, ip or whatever you call it you know like the blue screen and i had the computer game and they had all kinds of different predator visions in the game you could like switch between them all and everything it's like but i really want to be hooked into the original so you know i don't know i don't know maybe i would just stick to what mctiernan did because that really helps ground you in in what's come before perhaps but then did, did you like it and you've got to develop and yeah but there, there are expand. rules to what the predators how they see and things and you can't Maybe you can break free of it, but I I don't know. I think that stuff helps to ground you. But the, one of my problems with this is beyond the homage th stuff I was going on about. It's like how how much can you take from what they've already done before it crosses a line? And you may be right. Like a few new creatures, slightly different vision. Predator 2 had some new weapons. You, you can push it a little bit, but how far is too far? But if you stay in the lane... You're also screwing yourself too. So it's, it's finding that line. And I'll flip the question that you asked earlier, Patrick, about, um, you know, introducing this to new audiences. If Predator never existed and this was the first Predator film, mm. do we think we would have a long-standing IP? I'm not sure. You know, it's one of those hypo hypotheticals that we'll never know the answer to. But 
The character certainly weakened. The character of the Yaucher or the or the Predator. Yeah. He's, he doesn't come off <laughs> as a species. They, they don't come off as well mm-hmm. in this, do they? As the first one, right? I've just jumped out of a alien ship. I possibly was abducted when I was there, and I'm falling. Free-falling, Tom Petty style, (laughs) (laughs) on the way to an alien planet. But before I get to that alien planet, I need to know what I'm in for. So I stop off at Critic's Sky Planet, and then I press the button to go on the parachute. You can see that I have completely lost my train of thought here. Come on, what are the critics saying about this one? Roger Ebert was hanging in there on his last legs, poor fella. Three, (laughs) Three years away from death. Uh, this was his computerized voice era. I won't do it in in that uh, voice, but um, he he sort of phoned in a daft brief review. I don't think he took the film very seriously, to be honest. And who could blame him? Uh, I'm sure he had better things to do with his final three years of uh, of life. Uh, he gave it two stars. Uh, he spends most of his written review recounting the plot and trying to be funny. Uh, he was talking about the, the toothy alien warthogs mating and making jokes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the review itself was very brief. Um, he said it lacks the quiet suspense of the first Predator. And please don't even mention the Alien versus Predator pictures, which lacked the subtlety of Mothra versus Godzilla. So uh, well done, Rog. Uh, Kim Newman at Empire gave it three stars. He said gawky Adrian Brody cast effectively against type. As a mercenary with malice, he can't fill Arnie's fatigues, though when the shirt comes off, you can tell he's logged some serious gym time. Uh, He relies on um, the Rodriguez, uh, like, simmering intensity with bursts of violence. So I think, you know, Rodriguez is helping him along with his action role. Um, The monsters are conceived solely in terms of how cool they'll look as action figures which links into some of the stuff we've been saying. Uh, Uninspired writes Andrew Pulver at The Guardian, two stars. Brody can't hack it. His nostril flaring sensitivity always undermining the machismo. Uh, This is a stolid, uninspired imitation of the original. Uh, But he thought that the Hungarian director Antal's uh, original creepy debut, Control, which was filmed on a Budapest tube network is definitely worth a look. I haven't seen it, but uh, uh, I was in the basement for a moment. Um, Freddy D2K23 had higher hopes for this one. He said it was (laughs) shit and gave it two stars. Uh, Justin Peterson gave it three stars. He said different planet, same hunt. And uh, Matt Lynch said, some excellent fan service. So not too bad. Basement reviews this week. Pop quiz, hot shot. Right, Gally, what's your buzzer? Smelled you since you got here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Devlin, what's your buzzer, please? Well, I would, I would, of course, I would have loved to use uh, uh, um, ooh la la, but, you know, I think Matt is his instruction. Oh, yeah, so, I pinched uh, that, I'm so... Gonna... Uh, I'm going to try and go with some of the lines that I thought were weirdly delivered for no reason that I could possibly understand. Uh, this is a bit of a vague one, but at one point, Walton Goggins, in the middle of a scene, just said, Whatever. So I'm going to say that. <laughs> Whatever. Matt, what is your buzzer, please? Water in there. Help yourself. 
<laughs> Very good. And a reminder of the standing scores at the moment. Galley is lagging behind with one. And Matt and Dev are tied on five. So let's see who takes the lead today. Or if Galley can start clawing it back. Just like the Predators' claws. No, it doesn't really work. Okay, question one. What background does Mombasa have? Smelled you since you got here. Galley. He's an RUF officer. Death Squad, Sierra Leone. Very good. We got mm. the full answer. That's a point to Gally. A rare point to Gally. <laughs> Don't rub it in. Question two. Question two. What is tattooed on Stan's chest? Smelled you since you got here. It's his sister. For a bonus point, Gally, I'm going to offer you a bonus point. What's her name? Tara Lee. Whatever. It's close but incorrect. Oh, there's another buzzer there. Devlin? It's Candy Lee. I'm going to give the bonus point to Devlin, but Gally, you wow. do get a point for the uh, tattoo of his sister. Um, question three. Question three. What is Fishburne's character's full name? Water in there. Help yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Matt. Ronald McDonald. No, it's, it's close, but no biscuit. Whatever. Dev. Is it Ronald Noland? It is Ronald Noland. Never. That is correct, Dev. Well done. All right, that's Fantastic. a tie today between Galley and Dev. They got two points each. So let's see if they can break the tiebreaker. Amni Killens. Smelled you since you got here. Are we including predators? Yeah. Ah, very good. Eleven. Three uh, Twelve. Incorrect. I'm afraid it is sixteen. Ooh. Right, I'm closer because 16 is no. No, Devlin is closer. I'm going to yep, yep. call it a draw and I'm going to give Galley this week's point. Well done. So Galley's up to two. There we go. I'll see you boys next season for the quiz, which is the next episode because we haven't defined what a season is. Next season. Oh, right. <laughs> Very good. Possibly okay. the next day because a bunch of parachutes come in. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that was yeah short season. It's, o- it's open season. That would be amazing if Lawrence Fishburne had lost his shit in 10 days. <laughs> that would be so fun. <laughs> right, well, final thoughts, team, on Predators. I'll start with you, Devlin, as the person who had not seen it before. Do you recommend Predators 2010 for our listeners? Tough recommend, to be honest. I found the first watch to be perfectly enjoyable. Um, if very low stakes, uh, but I got through it. I didn't pause it a lot, which some of the films on here, Jesus, if it takes me a fucking long time to get through them. So, uh, it was, it was a one watch and I was quite happy with it. I probably would have forgotten every aspect of it. I went back the next day to watch it again and that's when the slog set in. So, um, I think it's positives are that it brought back the feel of the predator the original uh it it felt right it felt like a proper film it felt like a proper film that uh was at least competent and uh visible and not loathsome um the downside being that it was inessential and um squandered a decent enough premise but you cannot skate by on premise alone nor can you skate by on recapturing the feel with some decent prosthetics and some decent uh score cribbing 
um essentially there's not really much under the hood to keep this one in anyone's kind of thoughts for much longer than than the runtime so uh recommended purely if you didn't catch it first time around as i didn't as a mildly diverting evening um make sure you got a couple of cans and some fancy crisps and you'll probably have a lovely time if you sit down and try and watch it very seriously i think you'll probably be a bit bored which is a bit of a dour um assessment but yeah i don't know it's it's interesting to watch these things in order and see where it fits and see where it sits in the hierarchy of the films that came before it and after it and um we're we're way 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 above the quality level of the avps but i don't even know if we've hit the level of kind of gonzo fun of predator 2 i think i would go back to predator 2 before i came back to this film uh so yeah that's my very i it's neither a recommend nor a stay away i'm 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 lukewarm on this one uh how about you matt i was about 10 minutes in and i thought i'm really enjoying this but then i i maybe it was the big bowl of pasta i just made myself and i was i was a couple of cans in like you said dev and it was it felt right the tone felt right and i again c word it was cool for a while i I really sort of enjoyed it and it wasn't until morpheus halfway through big dip that's when it shifted for me it's not perfect but it at least feels in the same vein as the 87 original Uh, and you do have to weave new stuff in and retain the old but i think they understood that that's necessary but i think they miscalculated the amount of homagery if that's a word um the stereotypes didn't bother me um i i kind of thought it was kind of a good conceit to realistically get a diverse group of actors into a film together and uh you know if there was a smug british professorial type i might feel different but you know i think it was okay i just accepted it for for what it is uh one thing i didn't mention the stone location the rock formation I thought was a really good location. Um, I know it that didn't look like Earth, if that makes any sense. We said it was a bit bit too earthy at times. Why well, couldn't uh, see the planets in the sky from there? Yeah, odd, wasn't it? Um, it, it got a bit too studio-y as it went on, and um, the dip in the middle really killed it for me. Um, I do think it kind of works on its own. There, there was something about the brutal, over-the-top slaying of the Predator that I mentioned earlier. I didn't like that at all. Um, Arnie doesn't beat him to death horribly. In fact, you know, the Predator kind of kills himself while he, whilst laughing. He's victorious at the end of that one. It, it didn't feel... For all the, the homages, it didn't feel quite in the same spirit, and that's represented by a lot of the Walton Goggins stuff we discussed as well it's a mild recommend i think it was a bit forgettable um decent interesting premise but it was a bit late for a predator 3 and it i feel like if it was made in the 90s by rodriguez himself or someone like rennie it's way better but uh, it's not the worst of the bunch i've seen it twice in my life and i'm not rushing back to it but yeah i'll uh fly my spaceship over to patrick how about you i will recommend it because i'll certainly recommend it over alien versus predator and alien versus predator requiem 
it, it, this is an infinitely better film. It, it's better made. It, it's coherently directed, and it looks looks half decent. I thought with some um, great physicality and physical sets and locations, uh, some good SFX. The Predators were pretty good. I like them very much. Yeah, we haven't mentioned the, the Thomas brothers coming back and writing this, and they seem to dedicate their life to Predator. I don't know whether you've looked at the IMDb credits, but one of them that really stood out for me was the Predator Holiday Special. They also went on to write Prey, and they're, they're kind of a fascinating writing duo. I, I, yeah, anyway, that's for another conversation, perhaps. I quite, I quite like Brody in his role. I like Alice Braga. I, I Topher Grace is... Um, upsetting. <laughs> um, just, just there's a lot that doesn't work. We spoke about it, and uh, maybe if you're listening to this, you'd think we'd have been a lot harder on it in our summaries because I found that we were a bit hard on it mm. talking. But overall, it's, it's all right. <laughs> if, that, if, that, if that's stemming with faint praise, forgive me, but it is better than some of the films we've watched. Let's see what is it. The, the Predator is the next in the Predator series, Gally. I've seen that. I went to the cinema to see that, so I'm interested to see what you think of that one. But, Gally, what did you think of this one in the meantime? I'm just going to give you the definition of what innovation is, right? Can be something new or, here's the key bit, a change made to an existing product, idea, or field. So, that's the bit that they didn't do. They didn't make a change to the existing product. Um, So, yeah, it kind of left me a little bit conflicted because... I don't think I'll be returning to this one anytime soon. I think you're right, Devlin. Predator 2, probably not the better film, um, technically, but I have way more fun with it. I mean, one of the issues, we didn't really, we sort of slightly discussed the tonal. You just missed Big uh, Willy. Yeah, oh, I do, yeah, of course. Um, you know, we, we slightly discussed the uh, the tonal issues of um, uh, within this movie, but it's so po-faced, so serious. And then they present these cast of characters that have all definitely got interesting backgrounds and definitely provide, you know, a a real plethora of opportunities for how they integrate and how their dynamic might shift and suspicions and the uneasy alliance that that they were clearly trying to go for. But as you say, Patrick, they shy away from it. And then the callbacks, the endless callbacks, just eventually wear you down to the point where you go, well... Well, I may as well go watch uh, the first film. It was inconsequential in 2010, and it feels very inconsequential in 2023. So, yeah, that's uh, that's my summary. It feels, yeah, it feels like a bit of a bummer. But as you rightfully point out, in the slog and slush that we were we were in over the last two films in this LVRMP series, you know, at least it, it was competently made. It's technically proficient. It's a movie. It's lit. All the things that you, know, <laughs> you kind of take for granted sometimes when you've when you've watched Daily vs. Predator Requiem. So, yeah, um, that's my that's my summary team. Um, Very good. Yeah, mm. uh, it sounds like I'm I'm really bummed out, but as you say, I'm just in a bit of disappointed dad mode. Um, yeah, that's all. Where can our listeners find Predators after this absolutely glowing review? That they, you know, because no one listens to us anyway, uh, as far as our recommendation. <laughs> Where can they find it? UK and Korea, it's on Disney Plus streaming. And uh, looks like America everywhere, you know, all the usual places to rent and buy, but it's not currently streaming anywhere. 
Excellent, excellent. Well, uh, Devlin, why don't you tell our listeners where they can get some of our incredible merchandise that is then a way of supporting us, but making them C-word cool. Head your weird little arm falcon in the direction of rewindmoviecast.com, which is where you will find uh, all of our episodes archived, whatever introductions we may have written over the years. Uh, you'll find uh, links. You'll find links to where you can listen to us, uh, although you should know that because you're listening to us right now. You'll also find a link on the shop tab that goes to devlindosdrawing.tmail.com. That's where we have our merchandise. There probably won't be anything for this, but you can buy a poster of uh, Arnie that I drew for a while back in in colored pencils i did the heat vision arnie and it nearly broke my brain trying to draw a heat vision arnie uh, <laughs> it so looks great that, it like does look great poster. yeah uh, you can also go over to Redbubble if you want to skirt on the wild side, because you can actually get that picture as a um, set of coasters. Yeah. <laughs> if you want. There's also a Jet t-shirt over there, which I'm actually sporting today while we record, and a Terminator yeah. poster that says, fuck you, asshole, that uh, once again, I had to have taken off my T-mill because <laughs> I... Uh, <laughs> Because I broke some copyright laws. Oh, man. Mm, um, but Redbubble doesn't give a shit, so just go over there. <laughs> and listeners, if you like what we do, then please like, share, subscribe, pen as a wee review, spread the gospel team. That's all we ask. Motherfucker. Yeah, motherfucker. <laughs> uh, I can't believe they didn't do that once. I mean, come on. All the callbacks and no one went, rocked up. next up in the lvrmp series will be prometheus omg yeah put your thinking caps on because we're about to head into some philosophical journey of the mind and also an alien movie and and eye worms don't forget the eye worms space serpent we will be doing prometheus next so if you want to get in in on that uh then you know your homework is watch that also next up on the show though big episode right so we were in heady heights here we're going to be doing the exorcist so if you really want to stretch that brain of yours because we're going to go to some places then the exorcist is next up and prometheus is next up on lvrmp scheduled for some time in quarter two of 23 there we go cool all right then team it's time to say our goodbyes yes finally found me big dog it's galley in swindon stay safe everyone i'm alive it's Devon in london you're in my house motherfucker it's patrick in london this is my summer home it's matt in south korea oh thanks for listening everyone and we'll catch you next time on the rewind movie podcast (laughs) 